0: Genesis chapter 50, and let's go ahead and stand please, beginning in verse number 1. And Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed Israel. And forty days were fulfilled for him, so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him threescore and ten days. And when the days of his mourning were passed, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die. In my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan, there shalt thou bury me. Now therefore, let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury thy father, according as he made thee swear. And Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph and his brethren and his father's house, only their little ones and their flocks and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. And they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan, and there they mourned with a very great and very sore lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians. Wherefore, the name of it was called Abel Misrium, which is beyond Jordan. And his sons did unto him according as he commanded them. For his sons carried him into the land of Canaan, buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought with the field for a possession of a burying place of Ephron the Hittite before Mamre. And Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. When Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of thy servants of the God of thy father and Joseph wept when they spake unto him and his brethren also went out and fell down before his face and they said behold we be thy servants and Joseph said unto them fear not for am I in the place of God but as for you ye thought evil against me but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive now therefore fear ye not and I will nourish you and your little ones and he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt he and his father's house and Joseph lived in 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation the children also of Machir the son of Manasseh were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren I die And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he swore unto Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being an hundred and ten years old. And they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And let's pray. Father. Help us, please. Help that your grace is never wasted upon us. Help that our life's experiences build us, but do not embitter us. And I pray then your blessing upon the message today to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may, of course, be seated. As we have turned our attention to the subject matter of forgiveness in Sunday mornings recently, there is certainly a theology to the doctrine of forgiveness. There are facts that are taught. Fact, we need to be forgiven. Fact, God has forgiven us in Christ. Fact, that becomes the basis for our forgiving others. Facts. As John Adams said when he defended a British soldier upon the Boston Massacre, facts are stubborn things. Facts are stubborn things. But when it comes to the subject matter of forgiveness, there is an emotional side to it. And one of the questions that comes up then is, how do my facts and my feelings work together when they seem to work apart? And so I've endeavored, or am endeavoring, to give some time to both, dimensions of the subject matter, to deal with it factually, theologically, but also to touch upon the fact that as human beings, we are impacted and we have feelings. Last Sunday morning, we looked at an incident in the life of David, which was in the present tense. Saul was in pursuit of him, deliberately trying to kill him. David had his golden opportunity to execute vengeance, but did not. Not a spontaneous action I propose to you on the part of David, but one that was a reflection of the kind of man he had become and had aspired to be. This morning our passage is much more reflective we have the luxury given to us by God of listening to a man speak about a very serious wound that he had received at the hands of his own family. To be able to look back upon it through the lens of some years And to note from it what God's grace is capable of doing in the lives of those who are injured. Joseph was 17 years old when his brother sold him into slavery. And he spent the next 13 years of his life living in an Egyptian household and then an Egyptian prison. And when he was about the age of 30, then he was elevated out of prison and made an official in Pharaoh's household. When the famine strikes, Joseph is in his early 30s. The famine is two or three years old. Jacob is 130 years old when he arrives in the land of Egypt to live. And he will live another 17 years. All of that to say that when we get to Genesis chapter 50. Joseph is somewhere around the age of 50. Perhaps late 40's. Perhaps early 50's. But within that narrow band. It has been 30 or 35 years since his brother's committed the atrocity of selling him into slavery because they hated him because he annoyed them because he was offensive to them so here's a man who's had 30 let's just say for the sake of round numbers 35 years 35 years to live 35 years to think. 35 years, if you will, to plot his vengeance. 35 years to think about what would happen if this moment ever came. There are no shortage of people who would have spent that time planning their revenge. There are no shortage of people who, given this golden opportunity would have availed themselves of their power and their self-imposed right of vengeance to make the lives of his brothers absolutely miserable. But it doesn't have to be that way, and for those of us who believe it should not be that way, That same 35-year period has not been unnoticed by Joseph's brothers. They have spent 35 guilt-ridden years. As you read through the story of their going back and forth to Egypt to get food, their guilt colors every conversation, every activity. We're being visited for what we have done to Joseph. We're suffering this all because of Joseph. And when dad finally dies in Genesis chapter 50 and verse number 15, they persuade themselves that it is only the life of their father that has kept them safe. And now that dad is gone, Joseph will most certainly execute his vengeance. So they make up one more lie. And they tell Joseph, Dad said, don't do us any harm. One more lie. Dad said, don't hurt us. The response to that is Genesis chapter 50 and verse number 19, a question that we would do well, I propose, To not only commit to memory, but to commit to our heart. Am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? We, if we're not careful, will act as if we are in the place of God. Joseph does not dismiss what happened as insignificant. Joseph does not say it was all good, clean, fun. You know, we were all kids. And kids can be cruel. There's none of that kind of nonsense. Joseph is very explicit in verse number 20. You thought evil against me. There it is. You thought evil against me. Let me suggest to you from verse number 23 things that happened in the life of Joseph. Three things that must happen to us if we are to end up where Joseph ended up. And I would hope that we all want to end up where Joseph ended up in the storyline. Not with our hands around their throat. Let me give them to you in this order. First of all, remember the past accurately. Remember the past accurately. In your King James Bible, in Genesis 50 and verse number 20, you actually have two different translations of the same Hebrew word. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God in our Bible translates it meant, but it is the same word. You thought evil, God thought good. Or, you meant evil, God meant good. What exactly happened? why did they think evil of him and let me ask you to hold your place in genesis 50 and to turn to genesis 37 and while you're doing that let me issue some cautions upon myself some of what i'm going to say can only be described as conjecture or speculation It falls within the realm of possibility, but it is not clearly stated in the Scripture. The text of Scripture is certainly bedrock, but my spin on a Bible story is not. Secondly, as I said last week, I am very uncomfortable and get very nervous about talking in any way that would provide any Modern psychological excuse for us. And I think that's the great flaw of modern psychology in the light of Scripture is not that it uses maybe different definitions, but it provides a different perspective. It's not really my fault, and therefore I'm not really responsible. In the Bible, sin is sin. And we are responsible for our sin. That is true in the modern world, no matter how we frame it. But it would also be wrong to think that people in the Bible are unaffected by the things that happen to them. And in fact, one of the Psalms tells us, although the text of Genesis does not, that Joseph was chained as part of the trade slave the slave trade, the deal. His feet they laid in iron. And we know that he cried pitifully and mournfully to be delivered. So that Joseph suffered physically and emotionally at the hands of his brothers. They meant real evil. They meant real evil. But in Genesis 37, we have the incident that leads up to the selling of Joseph. Let me just read to you some highlights. They are part of the story. They are equally fact. You meant it for evil. Genesis 37.3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. Verse number 4. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream. And he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed, For, behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and, lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And, behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dream and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and my thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, the earth? And his brethren envied him. But his father observed, The saying, down to verse number 18, And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Behold, come now therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. Remember the past correctly. Did any of you grow up in the shadow of a favorite child? I'm not asking for a response. But if you'll indulge me a personal testimony for a moment, I was the favorite child. I have an older half-brother, but he was not really a part of our lives in any way until I was well into my teenage years. It was I and my sister When I was a child, my father's nickname for me was King. He called me King. I never thought anything about it. He called me King. And if I did think about it, this was what I thought. My name is Ken. Somehow, when I was a small child, Ken must have sounded like King, and he called me King. It wasn't until I became an adult (laughs) that I realized King was not a nickname. King was a title. When my dad called me the king, that's how he viewed me because I was to my mother, as some of you know well, the king. My sister always insisted that I was the favored child and I always denied that I was the favored child. Denied it vehemently. And then one day my mother moved into our house I'm not I'm telling you the truth. Right? Not exaggerating, not making this up. My mother has not lived in our house for very long. We have three children, a son and two daughters. I'm on the phone to my sister. You're right. I was the favorite child. How do I know? Because now my son is the favorite child. To the point that one time when my mother was away visiting my sister. Our children, for some reason, they were very young, were in her room playing and something got broken. They very quickly came to this conclusion. Tell tell grandma that Chris did it because she will not yell at Chris. I was the favorite child. Now again, folks, I realize that modern psychology has very little room in the biblical world. But if you were living, if you have lived in the shadow of a favorite child or a special child or a gifted child and you've always been second, you note that. You are not blind to that. You are not oblivious to that. Or did any of you have a sibling who was constantly bragging? And I think, folks, that we need to give some consideration that that is what Joseph was doing. From behind the protection of his father, he was boasting. You're going to bow down and worship me someday. Yes, you are. It's hard to believe that he approached them and said, you guys, you're just not going to believe. This This is the craziest dream. There's no chance that it's possible. You're my older brothers. You're better than me. But but I had a dream that you're bowing down before me. Don't you think that's crazy? It, It couldn't have been told like that. You wouldn't hate somebody if they came to you with that kind of story. But when he told them that he was going to be their master, they hated him. Now, he was uttering a prophecy, and we know that but they hated him. Now, my point is simply this, folks. There's enough activity within the home that you could understand why Joseph was hated by his brothers. You, you don't have to make the argument that it's ungrounded when if you lived in that home, you would probably defend your own feelings of hatred. They get away with anything. I never get to do anything. Mom likes, the dad likes them best. And they just think they're everything. The feelings are there if the definitions are not. Now one of the questions then, and here's where a little bit of the speculation comes in. Where did Moses get this information How did Moses know any of this? Moses is the human author of Genesis. He's at least 250 years after this event. It's like writing a first-hand account of the feud between Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, as if you were there. One thing that is entirely possible, folks, is that God simply told Moses what to write in kind of the mechanical dictation format of inspiration. Here, write these words. Moses going, I didn't know that. But another possibility is that this was part of the storyline that had been handed down generation to generation, all of which is this, folks. In every conflict, there are two parties. Sometimes, as in auto accidents, sometimes you really are the innocent victim. But oftentimes, we have some degree of participation. Remember the past accurately. Was the other person completely the villain that I claimed them to be? Was I really as innocent as I thought at the time? Reflection can be a very powerful tool. It would be sinful to accept responsibility that we do not bear. Bearing false witness goes both ways. I can't deny guilt, but I can't embrace guilt if I don't have guilt. But we can look at an event, folks, and we can wonder seriously and ask ourselves seriously for our own benefit if we in some way participated, contributed to, had a role in the conflict. Recall the past Accurately. And I would just remind you that Ephesians 4, among other passages, points out to us from a New Testament perspective that it is possible in the course of being wounded to become the perpetrator. That victimization never defends us. For taking retribution. So. Remember the past. Accurately. Secondly. Strive to see the hand of God. To go back to Genesis chapter 50. And verse number 12. I'm sorry. Verse number 20. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. And they did. They did. They wanted to kill him, and his older brother was figuring out how to try to save him. And then, providentially, the slave traders came by, and they sold him. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. See the hand of God in it clearly. Now, it's very easy to see it in this passage, folks. I mean, Joseph comes to us as such an image of Christ, sold into slavery, redeemed, the Savior, the Redeemer. But we should look back upon our own lives. Even the wounds that we have received. And look for the hand of God. You know folks, every day. Every day in the life of a believer. Is the opportunity to remind ourselves that God is sovereign. But God is not just sovereign. He is providential. He is not just in charge and letting things it's not like it's not like he's the the warden of a prison but he's not active in anything that goes on he is very much engaged in the lives of his people you meant it for evil but god meant it for good It's, it's highly questionable, isn't it, that at 17 years old, Joseph. Joseph, there's no testimony. There's nothing in the record that suggests Joseph laid there with his legs chained and said, you know what? I'm just glad that Romans 8.28 is in my Bible. It wasn't until he could look back on it years in the past that he said God had a good purpose in this. Perhaps, folks, we will grow, you know, the appreciation that we have to God for forgiving us our sins. Perhaps God will use our wound in some way to be a ministry to others. Don't know. right? All we know at the moment is that we're hurt and mad, scared. Whatever it is that we're feeling, we don't know how it might be used. Perhaps in reflection we will come to a greater appreciation of our own sinfulness. Maybe we'll look back on some things and go, you know what? I really, I really didn't look very good at that time. I really wasn't very well behaved. My nature is darker than I would like to believe at a present moment. Perhaps we'll just develop a deeper appreciation for God's grace. I'm not saying that I know everything. I'm just saying that Joseph and he saw it clearly. Joseph saw the hand of God. You guys were trying to get me. But God was at work. As I finished reading the text this morning, I had some notes here in my Bible that I'd forgotten that were here. Men intend evil. God intends good. God's intentions will prevail. So, what did Joseph do? I think he remembered the past correctly. He would not take exception to the events of Genesis 37. It didn't happen that way. And he saw the hand of God clearly. And thirdly, he allowed God to take care of the offense. Verse number 21. Now therefore, fear ye not. Because God had a good purpose. Because God is God and I am not. Am I in God's place? No, I am not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them. And he spoke kindly to them. Let God care for the past. Let God care for the past. There's no defense of Joseph's brothers. They had no legitimate reason to try and kill him or sell him. They had no legitimate reason to lie to dad about what happened to him. Gee, dad, we just found this. Isn't this his coat, dad? Isn't this the coat that you made him all covered in blood? In other words, folks, understand when you get to verse number 21 that Joseph's grief or joseph's gripe if you will is legitimate he's not overstating it he's not exaggerating it you were out to get me but i'm not in god's place It is almost beyond discussion that Joseph had the power to have them put to death had he so wished. The only person who might possibly have stopped him is Pharaoh. And I think that part of the reason the story is written the way it is in Genesis 50 is to show the deference that Pharaoh gave to Joseph. Do whatever you want to do. He sends his associates, will you please go to Pharaoh and ask Pharaoh if it's okay I go home and bury dad? Of course, anything you want. What does Pharaoh care about 11 dead Jewish men? Or what does Pharaoh care about 11 men sold into slavery? The power was in Joseph's hands. This is how he used it. I will nourish you. I will comfort you he sustained them physically and he sustained them emotionally and the text is very clear there folks that he was speaking them to them in such a way as to be genuinely attempting to comfort their souls let's deal with the guilt you've been guilty for 35 years you no longer need to feel guilty guilty So let me ask you a question. If someone injures you, what do you want to happen to them? What is your goal for them? What would satisfy you for them? I think that's very insightful about the way that we would think. What would we like to have happen Do we have some desire to have them suffer? I just want them to hurt the way that I've hurt. Do we want them to live in perpetual grief and repentance and guilt? Well, you've been guilty for 35 years and you're still guilty. But folks, I would suggest to you that the very nature of forgiveness doesn't want those things. God does not ever want us to forget that we are sinners, that he saved us from our sinfulness. But neither, folks, does there seem to be any sense that he wants us just to beat ourselves up all the time over it. Right? There are lots of serve the Lord with joy verses. There are no serve the Lord with joy, but you don't really deserve any joy verses. So here's a man reflecting. Lots of years to think about. Right? To think about this event and what it meant. Lots of opportunity to think about what he would do If this day came and it comes, and what does he do? It is an act of forgiveness. It is an act of kindness. It is a template for us. Let's pray.